that you would uh, bless this time in your word. And I pray that you would um, just minister to our hearts as we do look at this chapter and as we look at a portion of the scriptures that oftentimes, um, as you look at those books of the Old Testament, get ignored. But we know, Lord, that you desire to teach us and to fill our hearts with your love, and you desire to, uh, Lord, help, help us make application. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight that we would see, again, your goodness and your faithfulness and that your word is true and uh, that we would just uh, be fed tonight by you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the things I think is appropriate for us tonight, because as we enter into chapter 19, uh, one of the things that we're going to see is that God's people are going to be prepared to receive the word of God and the law of God, and and God is going to say to them that I'm going to make my presence known to them. And it's interesting to me that he does that because uh, look at the the plagues he brought down upon Egypt. Look at the mighty works that he's done already uh, in showing them that that he is true and and showing them that uh, he's going to keep his promises to them and, and bringing them out of Egypt, which he did. Uh, with a, a mighty hand, and then parting the Red Sea, and they would cross uh, the Red Sea on dry land. There's a wall of water on both sides, and uh, we see that they would cross safely, and then the Egyptian army would be drowned as they were trying to cross. So God has already shown himself strong on their behalf as um, they have been crossing uh, into the wilderness, and we're going to see uh, that it's been three months since they've been in the wilderness wandering. He's provided bread from heaven. He's provided the water for them, and now he's preparing t- to, to meet with them there on Mount Sinai, and the people are going to be down below. But it's, it's, it's interesting that, that God has always shown himself and revealed himself uh, to, to mankind and to us, he revealed his love to us through his son, Jesus Christ, demonstrated his love to us in sending his son to die for us that we might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And we who are Christians, and as we study God's word and as we believe God's word and stand on his promises, you know, that does bring us um, great comfort. It brings us guidance and wisdom and direction. And we know God's word is true. And, and I don't know about you, but it also brings me great comfort to know that I belong to him and that his kingdom will be established someday and that, um, you know, we're going to go to heaven, be with the Lord for all eternity. And I know it brings comfort to you as well. Well, it's interesting that in our own paper, the Greeley Tribune on Sunday, and um, in the front page, um, as you turn the paper and and open it up, uh, on page three, there was a big article that says, everything's spinning out of control, question mark. And so the article is, is saying, battered public seems discouraged by onslaught of dispiriting events. And, and it goes on and talks about how uh, is everything spinning out of control? And Midwesterners uh, are, are dealing with flooding, polar bears are adrift, gas prices are skyrocketing, home values are amiss, and airfares and college tuition and health care border on the unaffordable. Wars without end, rage in Iraq, Afghanistan against terrorism. It, it goes on to, to talk about how people have this sense of hopelessness and helplessness, even a, a cynical, negative attitude towards the elections that are coming up. Because usually towards uh, a presidential election, people have hope, and, and there is some of that. But more than anything in our country and in our society, they're saying that more people are discouraged, and, and people really aren't as excited as it might seem to be that they are. So it talks about all these, these problems and, and how all these, um, these things that are going on, fires in California that are going uh, on right now, the tornadoes in the Midwest that, that we have seen that ravage even our own area, and um, they've had double the, the tornadoes, number of tornadoes, uh, than in a normal year. They have 800 fires going in California. So people are wondering, you know, um, what's going to happen? And are things going out of control and stuff? And it's interesting, at the same time that that article is coming out, uh, we get a sense of a little bit of the pulse of not only the the attitudes of people in our society, but what is going on spiritually as well in our nation. And this came out on Monday uh, in the headlines, the leading story on CBS News, and it was the leading story on Fox News yesterday. But it's a survey that came out that was quite surprising. 
and it reads, Americans, my religion is not the only way. And the article reads, America remains a deeply religious nation, but a, few, uh, but a new survey finds most Americans don't believe their tradition is the only way to eternal life, even if the denomination's teachings say otherwise. The finding revealed Monday in a survey of 35,000 adults, that's a lot of adults, can either be taken as a positive sign of growing religious tolerance or disturbing evidence that Americans dismiss or don't know fundamental teachings of their own faiths. Among the more startling numbers in the survey conducted last year by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life, 57% of evangelical church attenders said they believe many religions can lead to eternal life. Isn't that an amazing statistic? 57% do, in conflict with traditional evangelical teachings. In all, 70% of Americans with a religious affiliation shared that view, and 68% said that there is more than one true way to interpret the teachings of their own religion. The survey shows religion in America is indeed 3,000 miles wide and only three inches deep, said D. Michael Lindsay, a Rice University sociologist of religion. There's a growing pluralistic impulse towards tolerance, and that is having theological consequences, he said. So the article goes on and reads some more statistics, but this is what's amazing. Americans are strongly religious. 92% believe in God. Every time that they ask, take a survey and they ask people, do you believe in God, it's always up around 92%. But this is what's interesting. 74% believe in life after death. I don't know how you can believe in God and then, you know, 92% and then only come up with 74% of life after death. 63% say their respective scriptures are the word of God. But deeper investigation found that more than one in four Roman Catholics Mainline Protestants and Orthodox Christians expressed some doubts about God's existence, as did six in ten Jews. The article goes on to say, smaller surveys found similar results, and this is what's amazing. Nearly across the board, the majority of religious Americans believe many religions can lead to eternal life. Mainline Protestants, 83%. 83%. Members of historic black Protestant churches, 59%. Roman Catholics, 79%. Jews, 82%. And then Muslims, 56%. By similar margins, people in those faith groups believe in multiple interpretations of their own tradition uh, teaching. Um, and then what it, the article goes on and begins to conclude is uh, what most people are saying is, hey, we don't have a hammerlock on God or salvation. And God's bigger than us, and we should respect that and respect other people. And so it's quite an amazing survey that they were quite surprised would come out that some of the surveys that they're doing are saying that 83% of mainline Protestant churches, they're saying that there's more than one way to heaven. We're seeing that the atmosphere in our nation, in America, in the world, in the church at large, is that there's more, um, th there's a pluralistic uh, belief and, um, and saying also that there's more than one way to interpret the scriptures. And as I look at that, that very much concerns me. It doesn't surprise me, but it does concern me. And so we need to be ones that are praying. We need to be praying for the church. We need to be praying for our nation. And, and it, it, the reason it doesn't surprise me is because we have seen over the years, and, and you've heard me teach on it, and, and, um, and I park on this a little bit because we do see it so clearly that there is more and more an, an attack on the inerrancy and the infallibility and the inspiration and the authority of the scriptures. And if you listen very, very carefully, what is being said more and more is that there is truth in the Bible rather than the Bible is truth. There are those who say, well, there's, uh, you know, there's um, some of the Bible that is inspired, but we don't know if all of it is inspired. We know that in this new movement called the Emergent Church that is uh, really drawing a lot of young people, but not just young people, that one of the emphasis of that in many of the emergent church movement is, well, we can't be dogmatic in interpreting the scriptures, and there are other ways to interpret the scriptures. And the thing is, that I pray for you and for me here at Calvary Chapel, is that as we go through the scriptures, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, that we would continue to be grounded in God's word, that we would believe what Paul had written to Timothy, that he said all of scripture is inspired by God. 
And he didn't say that some of it is. And what we see in attack on the scriptures, again, on the Bible and the authority of the scriptures and the belief that this is God's word that's coming not just from outside the church, but it's coming from inside the church now. And those who are behind the pulpit. And the reason, one of the reasons that we're seeing these kinds of attitudes that are in the church today, high numbers at 57% now of evangelical Christians believe that there's more than one way to heaven other than Jesus Christ. It's because more and more pastors are behind the pulpit saying, well, we don't want to be intolerant. We don't want to be exclusive. So, you know, maybe we can interpret the scripture other ways. And the thing is, God made it very, very clear to us that as we read his word, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the door to heaven. I am the good shepherd. And he makes these claims that he is the way to eternal life. And they're very simple. And Jesus meant what he said, and he said what he meant. And so I pray for you and for me that we would stand on the truth of God's word. And I'll tell you what, I think it's going to get more difficult for us to do that as we are headed in this direction, as a nation that's turning away from God, but also we're seeing the church at large that is turning away from the authority and, again, infallibility of the scriptures, the inerrancy of the scripture, and saying, well, we can't believe all of it. There's no absolute truth, and we don't know if it's all inspired, and we don't know if we can take all what Jesus said as truth, and we see more of that being adopted in the hearts of churches and in the hearts of pastors and, and people that sit in the congregations for the sake of we need to have unity and tolerance and we need to be accepting of people's lifestyles. And we're seeing a nation that's, you know, out of control morally. We see a nation that's turning their backs away from God and saying, we don't want the Lord. You know, and as we are headed to that time of the year where it's, you know, the stampede and it's the 4th of July, I want to remind you again to pray for our nation and we need to pray for the church. And we in this room, we love this nation. This is a great nation. And if you've ever traveled to other nations, you can see how God has blessed this nation and, and God has prospered this nation. But we're getting away from the Lord. And more and more we're saying, we don't want you, Lord, in our nation. And, and we see how morals are declining and we're accepting that which is evil and that which is sin and we're saying it's okay and so we have senate 200 bill that was signed to where now in our own state public restrooms can be visited by you know just about anyone if, you, if you're a, a a male and you're gay or trans you know gender or whatever it might be you can go visit into a woman's bathroom that's the law now in the state of colorado so they're trying to interpret what does it mean for churches? You know, do they have to provide for all of that? If somebody you know, wants to go uh, a guy into a woman's bathroom, it's now legal to be able to do that. And we see the insanity and the immorality in, in, that is continuing to spread in the acceptance of these things. In California, I've heard from some of my pastor friends there because, of course, it was a couple weeks ago that they uh, legalized gay marriage, and it's now legal to do that in California. And so now they're preparing as the phone is ringing, and, and there are those gay couples that are asking, we, can you marry us, and we, we, can we use your facility? And how they're you know, preparing for a statement and answers to be able to answer that. And, um, and so now it's kind of like, well, we're waiting to see you know, who's going to get sued first, the first civil lawsuit that's going to come about. And that's what I mean by that, is that it's going to get more difficult for us to stand in the truth of God's word. And there's going to be more deception that's going to be out there. Paul, some of the last words that he was writing to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy before he was put to death, he said, Timothy, in the last days is going to be perilous times. It is very difficult times, very hard times. And, and, and he would go on and describe how society is going to be. Men are going to be lovers of self and, 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 and lovers of money, and they're going to be uh, ones that uh, are you know, uh, violent and there's going to be greed and, and children are going to be disobedient to parents. And then as Paul continues to write, he says there's going to be evil imposters that are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving many, and there are going to be those who are going to be always coming and learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what I believe that we're seeing today. Oh, let's talk in, you know, about different interpretations of the scripture and let's you know, talk about different things and, and all of this. And there's all this discussion and stuff, but never coming to the truth. 
And you see, and as we study God's word, we're studying the truth of God's word. And I pray that we would stand on that truth, especially in these days. And it may not be easy for us, and it may not be easy for me as a pastor to do that, because it's going to probably get more difficult. I don't know what's going to happen to this country. And I pray, and I don't want to be pessimistic, but I pray that there is a revival that happens. But revival through revival is going to happen from the truth of God's word and God's people praying and people repenting and turning to the Lord and realizing that we need to turn to him and submit our hearts to him and turn to his ways. That's where revival comes out of. And, and I pray that that happens to this nation, that we recognize our need for God and our need to turn to him, a loving God who loves us so much. And I pray that that does happen. But I also know what the scripture says. That as people are being disheartened by these events that go around, and they affect us, don't they? The financial crisis and the rise of gas, gasoline and fill up our cars and the economy going south and, and all these different things that are going on affect our lives. But I do know that it's going to get a whole lot worse. Not because I'm being pessimistic or Pastor Jeff says so. It's because God's word declares it to be so. And there's going to be great upheaval. And there's going to be great difficulty that lies ahead. And we know that to be true from God's word. That it is going to be perilous times because God's word declares it to be so. And there is going to be a period of tribulation that's going to come upon the face of the earth. And there is going to be great deception that's going to come at the hands of one and a false religious system that's going to come. And I wonder, are we seeing the foundations of that being laid even today? You know, the early church, they were persecuted very heavily for standing for truth and standing for the Lord. And we know that in Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches, that two of those churches, Jesus had good to say about them he had nothing negative to say about them and one of them was smyrna and smyrna was the persecuted church and in the city of smyrna there were the christians that would be arrested and and a decree went out in the city of smyrna that if you found a christian and that you had them arrested that you got you know 10 percent of all their possessions so people were looking for christians to throw and they were the persecuted church and jesus is encouraging them and he gives promises to them the other churches, the Church of Philadelphia, they would experience persecution too. And, and the F Church of Philadelphia was probably the smallest of all the churches. It was the smallest of the cities, or one of the smallest. And it was a very beautiful city. It was called the Little Anthens. And so even though the architecture of the buildings was, was beautiful, and it was, you know, model after, you know, Athens, that magnificent city where scholars lived and, and sophisticated buildings of its days were built, the Christians in Philadelphia was very beautiful. Yes, th they were beautiful, that is, in their spirits and in their hearts. And the Lord had nothing but good to say to them. And he said to them, you have not denied my name, and you have kept my word. And that's what I pray for you and for me, that it would be said of us. That we would say, you know what, Lord, we're not going to deny your word and what the truth of your word has to say. And we're not going to deny the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm very concerned, not only for our young people, particularly for them, is because they're being deceived. And there's a lot that are sitting in the aisles, you know, or in the chairs and in the pews, you know, of churches that are hearing, well, you know what, believe whatever you want. There's many ways to heavens and all of this, and it's deceptive. And I feel very strong about it. And that's why I'm parking on this a little bit. And we need to pray. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for our nation. And we need to pray, Lord, that you give me the strength in the days in which we are living to stand on truth. It doesn't mean that we don't hate people in the world. It means that we love them enough to give them truth. And if I stand up here behind the pulpit or sit in this chair on Wednesday nights and Sundays and I tell you that there's other ways to heaven besides Jesus Christ, I'm deceiving you. And there's eternal consequences for that. It was about a month ago that there was a couple that came and they talked to me after the service and they said, we don't know if you remember us. We stopped by to visit. But you came and visited our father about six years ago, right before he died. We called you up. Uh, we had a relative that was coming here and, and learning the scripture. Since then, they've moved. And, and we called you up and, and to come over and, and to share with our, our, our father about the gospel and the truth of God's word. 
And, and you were willing to come, and you came that, that day, and, and you shared with him for a couple hours, and, and for the very first time, he heard the gospel. For the very first time, he heard very clearly that, that he could turn to Jesus Christ, and the Lord loved him, and it wasn't too late, and he can give his heart to Jesus Christ. And he did give his heart to Jesus Christ that day. The next day, he went home to be with the Lord. And she said something that really struck me that really to this day is, you know, in the last month is really still penetrating my heart. She said, we are eternally grateful to you. And that word when she said eternally grateful, you know, they're eternally grateful to the Lord because he's the one that saved them. But eternity hangs in the balance. And if we truly love somebody and we love people that we work next to and, and that we live next to and in our families, true love is going to give them truth. And what God's word has to say, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to establish his kingdom. He's the one that's going to be sitting on the throne. He's the one that died for us. He is the savior of the world. There is no other. He is the way to heaven. No one comes to the father, he said, except through me. Now, that's not very difficult to interpret. It's a very simple statement. And we show love to those who, you know, don't have Christ. And may they see the love of Christ in us. And may the Holy Spirit draw them to the Lord as we share the gospel with them and have opportunity to do that. But let's stand on the truth of God's word and not compromise it. And I pray at Calvary Chapel here that we would do that. And I know that, that, you know, that sometimes it's, it's like, okay, we're studying Exodus, and after Exodus, we're going to go to Leviticus. And, but I pray that you never buy into when somebody says that Bible study isn't important. This word that we have, this book, the word of God is true, and it's so important that we get grounded. And you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it one more time, we're going to move on. That if you're not grounded in the truth of God's word in these days, you are going to get deceived. And you're going to hear a lot of messages and mixed messages that are out there. And you know what? People may not like you and me, and they won't. And I'll get the hate mail, and I'll get the emails that say, you know, how can you say that? But you know what? I care enough about the people that come in this door and the people that I share with to say, Jesus loves you so much that he's provided salvation for you, and it comes by giving your heart to him. And he died for you because of his love for you. And I pray if there's anybody that is here tonight that you haven't given your heart to Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one that has provided eternal life. As we sang tonight, Peter said, where are we going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life, Lord. And so it was the crowds there in Capernaum, as we're going to talk about in Matthew's Gospel, that were leaving. We saw that in, in here in the book of Exodus that that it was the bread, the manna that was provided for the people as they were in the wilderness. And, and Jesus would speak and say that, you know what, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, but they perished. But the true bread from heaven that your father has sent is me because I am the bread of life and whoever believes in me shall never perish. It's going to have eternal life. Whoever eats of me is, is never going to hunger. Whoever drinks of me shall never thirst. And the people are going, this is too hard. We don't understand this. And Jesus was talking about closeness and belief and, and coming to him and believing that he is the bread of life that comes from heaven, that he is the one that provides eternal life. Believe in me. And they said, ah, and they began to leave. And so he turned to his disciples and said, are you going to go as well? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And he does. So may we stand true to God's word and what he has to say to you and me through his word. And know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Not part of it, not some of it, but all of it from Genesis to Revelation. I was running this afternoon. And uh, it was nice. It started out kind of breezy. You know, that cloud cover that came over and a little bit of rain. And it wasn't much where I was and, and afterwards. And, but then the sun came out and it was hot. And, uh, man, I was getting tired and hot and, woo, it was, it was humid and I'm gasping for air as I'm running. And, 
And all of a sudden, you know, I was running by this guy's yard and his sprinklers came up. And so I stopped and sticking my head, you know, kind of in the sprinkler. And I looked up and there's a homeowner standing right there looking at me. <laughs> what is the world is this guy doing? Just keep fighting the good fight. And you keep running your race. And we lived in a nation where it's been relatively easy and cool. But folks, I have a feeling it's going to get a lot hotter. And I pray that we would be washed with the water of the word every single time that we have opportunity to do. That it may strengthen us, it may ground us in truth, and that we love people enough to, to minister to them the truth of God's word. Because in this world, it's going to get more crazy. People are looking for truth. And they're looking for understanding. And we know truth, don't we? We come here and we open our Bibles and we learn it. And we have opportunity to give that to others. And I pray that there are others that will say to you and to me, they give praise to God, that we are eternally grateful that you took the time to share the truth of God's word, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that you never buy into Bible study is boring, it's not important, it's not a priority, because that's what you're going to hear more and more of. So, we study chapter 19 of Exodus. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped at the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. So they've been out in this wilderness wandering for, for three months now since they left Egypt. And again, God has provided water for them and manna that is falling to the ground. Now you recall that when Moses first was at Mount Sinai, when God called him to his ministry there in Exodus chapter 3, it would be in verse 12 that the Lord said to Moses, when you bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, you come to the mountain here, Mount Sinai, and there that you're going to meet with me, the children of Israel, and you're going to worship me here at this mountain. And we're seeing that this is what's going to take place now. And God's going to give him, uh, the children of Israel and Moses, the law of God. And so verse 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him um, from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. The house of Jacob is just another name for Israel, the children of Israel, or the nation of Israel. And you have seen, verse 4, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wing and brought you out to myself. So that term, to bear you on eagle's wings, it speaks of the exodus that the children of Israel are in. And it's interesting, when you think about an eagle, how they get their little eaglets to fly is, is they will, as those trees are way, uh, nests are way up in a tree or way up on the cliffs, and oftentimes what the, the mother eagle will do is push the little eaglets out of the nest. And as the eaglet starts to fall, of course, the eaglet is not really able to fly that good. And the eaglet's flapping its wings and squawking and all of this. And the mother eagle will swoop down and, and that eaglet will land on her wings. And then she will bear that eaglet on her wings. And that's the picture here, what God is saying. That I'm bearing you on my wings. I'm bringing you out of Egypt. And so that eagle will take that little eaglet, put it back up in the nest, and then the next time the little eaglet is going to fall out of the nest again and, you know, squawking and flapping its wings. But the wings are getting stronger, and the eaglet is beginning to learn how to fly. But the mother, you know, goes underneath and, and catches that little eaglet on her wings and bearing her on her wings. You know what? The Lord will do that with you and me. Do you know that? Because he desires for us to be strong like an eagle. Isaiah talks about flying like an evil eagle and not growing faint. And the way for us to learn to fly is not always easy, is it? To fly in the Lord, to, to learn to soar in the Lord, is there going to be those times, first of all, that we're going to be squawking and flapping and, and learning how to do that, but the Lord's going to be underneath us. And as we trust in him and as we learn of him, He's going to see us through, and he's going to bear us on eagles' wings. But also, we know that as we see this mentions of the Exodus, it's interesting that this phraseology is also used in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14. That is, in the future, there's going to be another Exodus of the children of Israel. And that is in our study of the book of Revelation. You recall 
that we saw that halfway in the tribulation period that the Antichrist is going to turn on the Jews. He's going to command the world to worship him. He's going to set himself up as God in the temple of God, as Paul writes about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's going to set himself up as the Messiah to the Jews. The Jews are going to say no. It is at that time that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then you flee, get out of there. We know from the prophecies of the scripture that the Jews at that time, that as Revelation chapter 12 verse 14 says, that the woman, speaking of the nation of Israel, given two wings of a great eagle. Another exodus that's going to take place as they will flee out into the wilderness to the rock city of Petra, and their God is going to hide them for three and a half years and protect them there in the rock city of Petra. So that takes place at the middle of the tribulation period to the end of the tribulation period. Again, that tribulation period, that seven-year period preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting as we talk about wars and people are concerned about the war on terrorism and in the Middle East and, and you know, are we, you know what's going to happen in Iraq and Afghanistan and all of this. We know that there are five wars spoken of that are yet to come in the scriptures in the last days. There's Ezekiel chapter 38, the war of Gog and Magog against Israel. Those nations that will come together and, and there will be a massive attack on Israel in the last days. The second war that's going to be is going to be the Antichrist raging war against the saints and the, and, uh, the Jews in the tribulation period. The third war we see in Revelation is when uh, chapter 12 is when Michael, the archangel, uh, fights with Satan and, and uh, a, th a third of you know, the angels that had fallen. And there's a war in heaven, so it speaks of that. The fourth war, the battle of Armageddon, that's in uh, the end of the tribulation period. As we read about, uh, that's going to lead up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then the fifth war is at the end of the millennium period where Satan's going to be led out and a rebellion's going to be uh, one last rebellion against the Lord, which isn't going to last very long. The Lord's simply going to speak, and at that time Satan will be bound and cast into the lake of fire. The first one, Gog and Magog, Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, it's interesting as we study that and you study all the nations that are going to come against Israel, it's interesting how those alliances are becoming stronger even today. One of those nations that are going to lead the attack against Israel, of course, not only Russia, but Iran. And people are very, very concerned about what's going to happen with Iran and their nuclear technology. We saw that yesterday that the European Union had approved new sanctions against Iran the president of Iran, Ahmadinejad, is already thumbing his nose at Europe and saying, we don't care. We're going to proceed with our nuclear technology and our program. And he denies that they're developing nuclear weapons or that's their ambition or that's their desire to, to build a nuclear weapon. The West is saying, the United States and Europe as well as Israel, that you are trying to build nuclear weapons. We have a president of Iran that has said that he desires to destroy Israel and wipe them off the face of the earth. So Israel sent a message to Washington yesterday. They said that if you don't take care of Iran militarily, the nuclear facilities, we are. So people are very concerned that war is going to break out, possibly even before the next president is ushered in. If Iran continues to defy the sanctions and what the United Nations and what the Western world is warning them to stop what it is that they're doing and proceeding in their nuclear technology, if there isn't some kind of agreement or breakthrough or some kind of them stopping or setback, then there is going to be probably a major military strike against Iran by either the Western nations or by Israel probably in the next two years at the latest. The latest talk is, and, and who knows how much of this you know, is, is accurate, but that Iran, at the pace that they're going, and what is suspected is they can have nuclear weapons by the end of next year. And as I look at it, and as I look at Scripture, it's amazing how you can read the papers and look at the prophecies of Scripture and see that, Lord, you are coming, and Lord, your coming is near, and that we are in the last days. 
I'll throw my two cents out. Can't be dogmatic about this. I think the Ezekiel 38, the war of Gog and Magog is going to take place before the tribulation period. And I'll tell you why. Because as you see here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, that there's going to be another exodus bearing on the two wings of a great eagle that they're going to go. We know there's some clues there in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that we can look at. One of the clues is this. Chapter 39 speaks of the cleanup of that battle. It's the only chapter in, in all of Scripture that talks about a cleanup after a battle. One of the things that are going to take place after God intervenes on behalf of Israel and destroys those invading armies there and destroys five, six of those armies is that Israel is going to be burning the weapons for seven years. It's interesting that, that one of the engineers that goes to this church that worked on the Rocky Flats nuclear facility there and cleaning up that facility and getting rid of the nuclear weapons, he said we had to burn them. It took seven years. Some say that Ezekiel 38 is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. And again, we can't be dogmatic, but think about this, folks. If it even happens at the beginning of the tribulation period, seven years they're burning the weapons, they're going to be busy fleeing the Antichrist. You see what I'm saying? They're not going to have time to be burning the weapons. So I, again, and you can take it and leave it or dismiss it or whatever. I don't want to be dogmatic. I do know it's going to happen in the last days. That is going to happen before the tribulation period. Because there needs to be seven years up until the time that the Antichrist is going to come against the Jews. So a little bedtime thought for you as you search the scriptures and stuff. So he talks about this exodus. They, they come out. He says, I brought you out to myself in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. You guys, if anything that you get tonight, I pray it's this. Not timetable for end time prophecy and all that. That's all interesting. You keep watching. You keep sober. We're told to be looking for the Lord's return. We are to keep looking for him and occupy till I come serving the Lord growing in the Lord, just continue to, to love people and to be where God wants you to be. But if there's anything that I want you to get tonight is how God values you and loves you. And he says here to the children of Israel, he says that you are ones, that um, you are a special treasure to me above all people, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But he also says the same thing to you and to me, the church. We're going to see in Matthew chapter 13 when we get there, that Jesus is going to say that the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in the field and he gave all that he had to buy the field so he can take the treasure out. And so we'll discuss that more when we get there. But it's a beautiful picture of how the Lord gave all that he had to buy the field, redeem the world. Not that he can have another world, but he could have you the treasure. You are a treasure to the Lord. It would be Peter in his epistle. He was writing to a group of people, Christians, that were being persecuted heavily by the Roman Empire. And he would talk about in 1 Peter chapter 2 the privileged status that they had in the Lord. He says, don't forget that you are his own special people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We do love our nation, don't we? And, and many of us are proud to be Americans, but it's neat to think that we belong to a holy nation, that we belong to the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom of God that's going to be established forever as Jesus Christ comes back and establishes and brings in the kingdom of God. So we are a, a, a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a special people. We're a treasure to the Lord. But remember this. Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 1, he's talking to them, bringing them to the heavenlies. He says that we have all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And so he begins to talk about the spiritual blessings that we have. We've been chosen. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. And we are joint heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ. All the riches of heaven are going to be ours because we are children of the King. And we are, ch we are children that can cry out, Abba, Father. And so we are joint heirs with Christ. We have an inheritance. But then Paul begins to pray in Ephesians chapter 1. And as he's praying for the saints, he says, I pray that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, he's saying, 
that you are, you and I who are believers, we are his inheritance. And I think about that and I think, really? I mean, I'm excited about that we're joint heirs with Christ and, and we have an inheritance in heaven. But then the Lord comes back and says, I'm his inheritance? And it's like the Lord is saying, you are so valuable to me that I can't wait till you're with me in heaven. And the time will come when we are going to be with him in heaven. You are a treasure to me. That's why Jesus said, I died for you, not to have another planet, but to have the treasure. And I pray that you never doubt the love of the Lord for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ proven his love and demonstrating his love for you and for me by going to Calvary's cross because he took care of the sin problem that we might have forgiveness of sin and we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and have relationship with the Father and be his inheritance. And so Moses, verse 7, came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. And then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. So here are the people saying, you know what? All that the Lord has spoken, we're going to do. They haven't even heard what the Lord has said. But they're just, they're all that the Lord says we're going to do, and it's going to be a short time after this, they're going to be dancing around a golden calf naked and sinning and committing idolatry. I pray for us that we would be ones that we have in our hearts that say, Lord, all that you speak as we go through your word is true. And Lord, I desire to walk in your ways and to do your work. And so verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. And so we see that, that Moses, I'm going to appear to the people, and I'm going to appear to them in a spectacular way. So the people need to prepare themselves. They need to consecrate themselves. I believe if you have a King James, it says sanctify themselves. So sanctify means to be set apart, to, to prepare yourself because you are a special people set apart, dedicated, and you're to be dedicated for holiness. And, of course, in the New Testament, we as Christians are told that we are sanctified. It simply means to be set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for holiness. Set apart to be used of the Lord. Set apart to be a useful vessel to the Lord. As we go through the Old Testament, we will see that they sanctify, they cleanse, or um, you know, the, the instruments, the furnishings would be set aside for the useful uh, work of the Lord in the temple and in the tabernacle that we will read. And you and I are sanctified, set apart to be useful for the Lord, for the King. And that we are set apart to live for Him, set apart for holiness. And it takes preparing your heart to do that. And that is having a heart for the Lord and continuing to seek Him and have a heart that's open to Him and the things that He says to you and to me. So Moses set bounds around the mountain. No one comes past those bounds, that boundary, except for you, Moses. You guys wash yourselves in your clothes. You know, guys, stay away from your wives. No physical relations with them. Make sure, again, they understand no one breaks through. A very serious thing that's going on here. Verse 16, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud in the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became 
became louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. This is pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine this sight? I mean, here's a mountain shaking. It's on fire like a furnace, thunderings and lightnings. And I think it was more than just a thunderstorm passing through. I think this was awesome, you know. And then all of a sudden, the sound of a trumpet getting louder and louder. And then it says here that God spoke and Moses answered. What an awesome, awesome thing. And I want to remind you that we believe in an awesome God. And these guys are learning, as we're going to see next week in chapter 20, after the Ten Commandments, that the people are going to say, Moses, we can't handle this. They trembled here. Moses, you go up on the mountain, and you receive from God. They're learning the fear of the Lord. And you see, there is a real lack of the fear of the Lord in the church today. And please, let us understand what the fear of the Lord. Here they saw the awesomeness of God. He demonstrated he, he is showing himself to the people, thunders and lightnings and voices and, 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 and a fire on the mountain and his trumpet sound. And all of a sudden, you know, God spoke and Moses answered them. What an incredible sight. And here's the thing about the fear of the Lord. It means to revere him. It means that we worship an awesome, holy God. It's not an, an unhealthy, you know, trembling that as a child of God, that I cannot approach you, Lord. But here the people, well, let's read on, and I'll explain a little bit further. Verse 20, Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. And then the Lord said to him, Get away, get down, then come up, you and Aaron with you, and do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So here the people, make sure you don't go past the bound. And here in verse 20 knows the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. It took a, can you imagine Moses saying, uh, Okay, lightnings and thunders and fire and all of this pretty amazing here's my point about the fear of the lord an awesome god we believe the creator of the universe he is god almighty and his word is true and that's part of the fear of the lord but here's the good news for you and for me as a child of god we're going to see next week that the children of israel are going to receive the law of god Moses would have to go up to get the law of God. You guys can't come up. You have to stay down at the base of the mountain. You can't come into the presence of God. Because the law won't bring you into the presence of God. So Paul makes that point very clear, doesn't he, in the New Testament? You're not saved by the law. Hebrews chapter 10 says, but now you can come into the presence or into the holy of holies with boldness and with confidence. Why? Because of another mountain. That's Mount Calvary. That Jesus went and he shed his blood. Because you see, the law, remember, as we go through the law, we're going to go through all this stuff, the law, and we're going to go through it, and we're going to see it, and we're going to make application. But the law was given as God's holy standard. The law is perfect. The, the law is righteous. The problem is the law shows us that we couldn't keep it. And so Jesus Christ came and died for us. Who, Jesus, who fulfills the law and kept the law perfectly and died on another mountain, Mount Calvary, for our sins because we broke the law. And we have sinned and we've transgressed. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, you provided a way for salvation and forgiveness. And that's why Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. I am the way. He would pray in the garden there. He would say, Father, if, oh, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Cup, what cup? The cup of suffering and death. Think about this. Jesus was saying, Father, if there's any other way in which a person can have eternal life, I don't need to go to the cross. Lord, if it is possible, if it is possible, at all, if there's any way that a person can come to you other than me going through the sufferings which I'm about ready to, 
to go through as he prayed in the garden on that night before he would be crucified on that cross. If it is possible at all, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering and death, but nevertheless not my will but your will be done. And because he willingly went to the cross shows me there's no other way. You can't be good enough. It isn't any other God, any other belief. There's no many ways to eternal life. If it is possible, no. So Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem to die for you and for me because sin had come into the world and he was dying for the sins of humanity. And as he took that cross and walked down that path of suffering called the Via Dolorosa, he did it because of his love for you. And the gospel message is the most wonderful, most simplistic, good news message that we can give to people that all of us, we can't approach God based on the law. We're down, down below because he's an awesome God and he's a holy God. But now we can come boldly into the presence of God, not in and of ourselves, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 10. That's the good news. And I pray that we never compromise that. And I pray that we share that with others. And so, Father, we thank you for again, just being reminded of the wonderful things that you have done for us. And Lord, just as you have taken, as we saw, the children of Israel as your own special people, you've done that with us who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we are a people that as your word has been given to us, that we know it's true. And that, Lord, that you are an awesome, holy God, but, Lord, also a loving God, full of grace and compassion and love. And we can approach you through Jesus Christ based on what he did for us on Mount Calvary. So I pray that tonight, that, that Lord, if there's anyone here tonight that have not turned their hearts and given their hearts and faith to Jesus, that they would do so that they would pray right where they're at, Jesus, come into my heart because I have sinned. And I realize that. And I realize I need the Savior of the world that's you. And I believe you died for me. I believe your word is true. And thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. And thank you for eternal life that is found in you, Jesus, and found through you. And for all of us that we would Lord, stand firm in your word that has been given to us for all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathes and we can take it and know that it's true and we don't have to compromise it and I pray that we would have boldness and enough love to share it with others that we have opportunity and that we wouldn't compromise the gospel message. We wouldn't compromise your word but stand in truth. And Lord, in these days that you would give us the strength to do that. Lord, that we as a fellowship, that we would stick together and encourage one another. And that we would stand on your truth. And we would be like the Church of Philadelphia that you commend it so much in saying that you have not denied my name. You have not denied my word. And that, Lord, we wouldn't as well. That we would stand on the name of Jesus Christ and the word of God given to us. Father, I pray that you just continue to minister to us as we just worship and just with hearts of gratitude and what you have provided for us. Father, I pray that you would just bless us and Lord, again, as we just close out the evening with just worshiping a few songs that you would minister to us in a wonderful way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.